Today's episode is brought to you by Get Your Guide. Want to make your next trip unforgettable? There's an easy way to do that. Book a Get Your Guide travel experience. No matter where your travels take you, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. Choose from over 100,000 travel experiences in the U.S. and around the world with Get Your Guide. Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop, powered by an Intel Core i9 processor, featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and it's Saturday, the day of each week that we venture down into the vault and retrieve an older episode of the show for you. This one originally published on March 29th, 2022, and it's part one of our series called The Three Pupil Die. Yeah, I remember this one being quite a lot of fun, and I think we did, we discussed this idea as it pops up in a various cultures and traditions and sources, but I think we do get a little bit into to some uh, some Irish legend, so it's a good topic to revisit as we launch ourselves towards St. Paddy's Day. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And, you know, we recently did a, what, a couple of episodes that related to Irish mythology. And as we were you know, looking through uh, these various uh, accounts of various heroes and monsters and uh, you know, tales of Tuatha and so forth, um, I, I was reminded again of a, of a motif that I remember coming up briefly, at least, when we were looking at the, the hero Cucullin, and that is um, Irish heroes that are depicted as having either multiple pupils or multiple irises within their eyes. That is a strange detail, especially because I can picture multiple pupils I have a harder time picturing multiple irises. So, of course, mm -hmm. basic anatomical note, the pupil is the black dot in the middle of your eye, and the iris is the colored ring around that dot. So, uh, multiple pupils, I'm seeing, okay, multiple dots, multiple irises, I, I don't know, that, that just, what like, how would you tell where one iris began or ended? 
Well, I guess you'd have to have like multiple irises and pupils in that department. And, and as we'll get into one of the things is that some of these accounts will say pupils and other versions of that same account will say irises. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how, uh, you know, the, the term maybe gets confused um, over time or it's lost in translation. Uh, so, I'm, but it, it kind of adds to the mystery of, of not being exactly sure what we're talking about here when these details come up. Well, so how do these details go? Like, what's an example? Okay, so um, taking, uh, for example, Cucullin, since we've, uh, we've discussed him before, the, the Irish uh, hero, a warrior hero, a demigod, uh, possessed by the ability to enter the warp spasm during battle, lots of wonderful um, tales uh, and, uh, about this character. And uh, he's, he's prominently featured in the early Irish epic, The Cattle Raid of Cooley, or uh, the, the Tain, as it's sometimes called. Uh, but one of the other you know, interesting facts about this hero is that he is sometimes described as having seven irises. As translated from the epic by Joseph Dunn, this is, I believe, a 1914 translation, quote, seven jewels of the eye's brilliance was either of his kingly eyes, seven toes to either of his two feet, seven fingers to either of his two hands, with the clutch of hawk's claw, with the grip of hedgehog's talon in every separate one of them. <laughs> I love how that's all majestic and fierce until you get to the hedgehog. I don't know. A hedgehog's talon sounds pretty um, intense to me, uh, even if I can't quite picture what that would be. And maybe I don't have enough experience with hedgehogs. Though I also, this struck me because I love stories where beings have a strange, recurring, specific number of body features. It, it reminds me of visions in the Bible, like particularly the visions of the dragon and the beast in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar, the book of Revelation is is the last book in the Christian New Testament. It is mostly describing a vision that the author, someone named John, says was given to him by Christ. And it's a book where the number seven has great significance. It, it's used in a number of ways throughout the apocalypse. There are messages sent to seven church congregations, There, uh, and then within the vision, seven seals are opened, seven trumpets are sounded, and so forth. But there are also these wondrous beings, uh, both great and terrible, with seven of something. So, for example, in uh, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads." Uh, and I I always wondered if that meant, okay, so he's got seven heads and then seven crowns on his heads, but does that mean seven crowns per head or just one crown per head? I'm not sure. One of the seven heads is wearing seven crowns stacked on top of each other. <laughs> that head's a real the, dick. They fight over the crowns. <laughs> uh, but then later also, the beast is said to have seven heads and ten horns, quote, and upon his horns, ten crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And so it, I like these these specific numbers. It's not just like, oh, this beast has two heads. It's got seven heads. And of course, in Jewish and Christian traditions, seven is a very significant number. It's a holy number. And one that most of the time seems to be associated with wholeness or completion or fulfillment. You know, God rested on the seventh day in the creation story after creating mm -hmm. earth in six days, rested on the seventh. So it, it's sort of like the finishing of a, of a good and wholesome cycle of something. 
though I, I guess in this case it's interesting because this is a sort of unholy seven. It's the opposite of God. And there are other beings in Jewish literature described with various specific numbers of features. For example, there is a vision described in the book of Isaiah where the prophet sees the Lord sitting upon a throne and he's surrounded by angels called seraphim, which literally means the burning ones. And the seraphim are said to each have six wings. And there's a reason given for this in the vision. The wings are each doing something. So uh, Isaiah says that with two of the wings, he covered his face. With two of them, he covered his feet. And with the other two, he did fly. Though I wonder if the number six is also showing uh, a different significance in that these beings are sort of the second highest beings in the heavenly hierarchy without being on the level of God himself. So seven is holy perfection and fulfillment. Six is one level under that. Oh, wow. So first of all, I love how this actually is finding a way to tie back to our recent episodes on the days of the week, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the seven day week. And uh, yeah, all these, there's something about examples like this where we're dealing with, you know, literary motifs and uh, symbolism and, you know, mythic beings. But we take these non-biological numbers and they they sort of uh, bleed through their imagined bodies. And and we instantly enter this zone of... um, of uh, of just uh, of, of fantasy and uh, and, and myth, um, it, it, you know, it's the, it's the sort of thing that I think you know today we would we would classify this sort of thing as like uh, you know visionary art or you know some sort of a psychedelic uh, notion, um, but uh, but clearly we've you know we've been dreaming up these these things uh, uh, throughout human history. Well, yeah, and, and you're right to note that seven is not a very biological number. Yeah, I mean usually. In animals with bilateral symmetry, there tend to be even numbers of things. There are some interesting exceptions, but uh, uh, oh, that's yes. that's most most often the case. Uh, we'll get to one exception within the human body later on that that I like. Uh, but yeah, so so I I don't know exactly why you'd get these myths later on of like say yeah a hero who's got seven irises in his eye or seven pupils in his eye. Uh, but I would be surprised if it isn't if it isn't part of a tradition if it isn't all downstream right. from this ancient line of thinking that says uh, hey you know this monster doesn't just have two heads it has seven heads and not only does it have seven heads the fact that it has seven heads means something. This is like the ultimate bad monster because there's seven of it. Seven is kind of like a siren. It means whenever there's seven or of something, it's it's incredibly meaningful. It's intensely significant. Mm-hmm. And with 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 Cucullin's eye, it's it's really hard for me to to picture it. Like I guess I end up picturing like this just sort of ring of pupils. Um, uh, and then yeah, when I try and picture seven irises in there, it doesn't really come together for me. Uh, here are a couple of other uh, translations. Um, Thomas Kinsella translation says, seven hard heroic jewels are set in the iris of Cucullin's eye. And then uh, Dunn also translating an- another section of the work here uh, from a poem uh, prophecy, quote, seven gems of champions brave deck the center of his orbs. Naked are the spears he bears and he hooks a red cloak round. And I've seen these, yeah, I've seen these described as uh, as pupils, as irises. And there's a there's one version that reads, "quote There were seven pupils in Cucullin's royal eye, and two of these pupils were squinting." <laughs> the pupils were squinting. Yes, and um, yeah, this this is another area where I haven't found I haven't found much to really, uh, you know, break down what this means, and, and that that just makes it more enticing. Like what what to, imagine looking into this uh, this hero's eyes, and then like first of all. 
there are like seven pupils in there. Uh-huh. And, then, and then to make things even weirder, to make that moment even weirder, two of them are squinting at you. Two of the pupils are squinting. But pupils, I mean, so pupils do, of course, contract. We'll talk about that as we mm-hmm. go on. That's one of their main anatomical functions. But I don't think that's usually what people mean with the word squinting. With squinting, I think of squeezing of like the muscles around the, the, the orbital, you know, your, your yeah. face. Yeah, though, as we'll discuss, um, pupils do weird things. Uh, so, so maybe by the time we roll through some uh, uh, examples from the, the animal world, we'll have a better idea of what this could conceivably look like. But uh, Cucullin is not the only character in Irish tradition who has, uh, has mysterious eyes. Uh, there's also a character by the name of uh, Fedelm, or uh, I think the modern version of this is Fidelma. And uh, this is, uh, she, she's a member of the Tuatha Dé Danann. She's a prophet, uh, a poet. She's mentioned in the Ulster Cycle. And I've also read that she, uh, so some um, critics uh, and historians think that she may be connected to later traditions of the Banshee. Um, which again, the Banshee, one of its whole things is that it is, uh, it, 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 it haunts a place, it wails in anticipation of death. So it is, it is in its own way a prophet, though a prophet of, of one particular thing. Mm. Uh, she appears in the Tain as well, and she is described as having three irises in each eye, uh, triple irises. Uh, and she, this, is, this gets really interesting because she's described at length, and uh, I, I'm just going to read a part of it translated by Dunn. Quote, Weaving lace was she, and in her right hand was a bordering rod of silvered bronze with its seven strips of red gold at the sides. A mini-spotted green mantle around her, a bulging strong-headed pin of gold in the mantle over her bosom, a hooded tunic with red interweaving about her, a ruddy fair-faced countenance she had, narrow below and broad above. She had a blue, gray, and laughing eye. Each eye had three pupils. Dark and black were her eyebrows. The soft black lashes threw a shadow to the middle of her cheeks. Red and thin were her lips. Shiny and pearly were her teeth. Thou wouldst believe they were showers of white pearls that had rained into her head. And I have to say, I love how... Uh, I mean, it's all beautiful, but the, the the three pupils in the eye just gets like this brief description. But then the uh, the author's like, and let me tell you about her teeth. Right. <laughs> yeah. I had the same reaction. Though then again, I'm thinking about the historical setting from which this, this story would have emerged. And maybe at that time, seeing somebody with really clean teeth was even more rare than an eye with three pupils. Uh, true, true. So, um, so okay. So we already have a couple of examples here. Cucullin, um, and we have uh, we also have uh, Fedelm here, and Fedelm, Fedelm is very much a seer. She has eyes of prophecy. So it's easy to to see where one interpretation here is that her eyes are unnatural because she has unnatural vision. She can see into the future. Makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But as uh, as several different commentators have pointed out, this is where, this is another level where it got even more interesting. Is that commentators have pointed out that um, these are also signs of beauty. Uh, so think to this uh, passage I just read. So uh, you know, yes, again, she is a seer, but she's described as as being is not being beautiful, but possessed with weird eyes. Her triple pupils or irised uh, eyes are listed as part of her beauty. Um, though, you know, undeniably this connects to her attributed powers as well. 
Right, so it's listed along other uh, along other things like having long, lustrous eyelashes and pearly teeth, things that in a lot of other literature would be just clear markers that are supposed to mean beauty. And here it's also like, and three people died. That is one of those things, right? We all know that thing. Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is I think, something that makes it so fascinating to read as a modern uh, uh, reader of the, the text. Because obviously, if you had, uh, you know, a modern work of fiction that was referring to a character like this, everything would go in reverse, right? You would have all the, you would say, oh, she was beautiful and she looked totally human, a beautiful human, except, whoa, those eyes, three pupils in each one. It was a bit weird. So uh, one of the sources that I was looking at about this uh, is uh, Jacqueline Borst's The Evil Eye in Early Irish Literature and Law, 2003, published in um, Celtica 24. Uh, it provides a, a lot of, of insight into the literary motif um, of the eye in Irish literature. Uh, so she brings up, first of all, uh, a different one, uh, th- uh, creature with a unique eye, and that is the one-eyed giant, Ingsoll Kesh, or Ingsoll the Terrible, who is uh, described as this great giant, uh, something of a pirate, I think with possible uh, like English origins of the time. So, you know, in, the, in this we get like the idea that may, if there is some sort of historical basis for this figure, maybe he was just some sort of a pirate raider from that region. But in the mythic connotation, he becomes this, this, this great big giant who not only has just this single eye in his head, he's not only a cyclops, but it is a solid black eye. And that solid black eye has seven pupils within it. Uh, though I've also read descriptions where he just has three pupils. How would it have pupils if it's solid? Bla- the pupil is the black part of the eye. So uh, that's thoroughly confusing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he's known for the, the destruction of uh, the Durga Hostel. Uh, there's a whole story about this. And so the, the author here is discussing Ingsoll's eye, and she connects it not only with Cuchulain, but also with the high king of Ireland, Cormac MacArt, who is also said to have had seven pupils in each eye. Um, <laughs> wow. she, so again, it's just driving home that this is a recurring motif. It's not like a one-time thing that, you know, it, it, it clearly meant something and was worth repeating uh, in the canon. Uh, but but she points out that, uh, you know, in the cases of these two heroes, quote, this is explicitly qualified as a sign of beauty. And furthermore, she says that the, the squinting in Cuchulain's pupils is also seen as adornment rather than disfigurement. And then she also comes back to uh, Fedelm, uh, the, 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 uh, the female seer of the Tuatha Dé Danann, and says, quote, there is no explanation offered of this characteristic, uh, the triple I uh, with, with Fedelm. It could be a sign of beauty, and it could be a sign of her supernatural sight. The latter is more probable because the characteristic is separated from the description of her looks by the mention of the weaver's beam. The weaver's beam has been interpreted as a supernatural tool for prophecy. The triple pupils could, therefore, very well be a symbol of her clairvoyance. And, uh, yeah, so if I'm not mistaken here, the weaver's beam, this is part of a loom. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we're getting into the idea that like here, this this piece of technology also had mystical connotations for divination. All right. What about Ingsoll, though, the giant or pirate who has a single eye, which is entirely black and also has either three or seven pupils in it? Well, she uh, she's 
she says that, okay, if we're going to look at these other examples and try and figure out Ingsoll, we'll say, first of all, he's definitely not beautiful. This is not a sign of his beauty. He's a rough and horrible monster. She, she, you know, she points out some of the, um, uh, the terms that are used to describe him, but his sight is described as being sharp. He can make out every detail of the hostel at a glance, and Borsch says that he also might connect to the legendary evil eye of Balor, the king of the Fomorians, whose great eye... Uh, when opened uh, and when his great brow could be raised up. In some accounts, two warriors have to stand on either side of him, put a woman wooden beam beneath his big saggy brow and lift the brow up so that the evil eye can see out and unleash uh, destruction on the battlefield. Um, It could be connected to that. Uh, uh, Balor, by the way, is eventually killed uh, by his grandson, Lug, of the Tuatha de Danann. And there are multiple versions of the Balor myth as well. Sometimes his destructive eye is described you know, more or less like the single, uh, single eye of a cyclops. And other times it's depicted as more of a, a third eye in the center of the head uh, alongside uh, two ordinary eyes. So there's just a taste of uh, the triple or sevenfold eye in, uh, in in Irish mythology, and again, I even having you know researched it a bit and, and and laid it out in the in the outline here, it's still just overwhelmingly mysterious and awe inspiring to me. And uh, we're going to come back to some other traditions, uh, some other ancient writings that refer to mysterious eyes of this nature. Uh, but at this point, we're gonna we're gonna shift into the scientific world, and it, and uh, hopefully this will be a, a fun case uh, where the science and the myth will sort of play off each other, and each one will make the other more uh, fabulous. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals.
Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. All right. Well, since we're talking about eyes, I think we do need to do a quick overview of, of eyeball anatomy. So picture an eyeball. Rob, are you doing it? Can you, can you see that eyeball in your mind's eye? Burning like the eye of Sauron. Okay. Well, that actually connects to something because the eye of Sauron, you picture that, that that's not just floating out in space, right? It, it's sitting in a tower. Mm, that's right. And so, of course, our eyeballs need some, some structural scaffolding as well. So the eyeball of a human sits within a bony socket called the orbit. And the outer layer of the eyeball itself is a tough white tissue made of collagen that's called the sclera. This, this is the white part of the eye that you can see. And then the pupil, of course, is the black dot in the middle of the eye. Covering the pupil on the outside is a clear layer of cells known as the cornea, which both protects the eye, it protects the, the iris and the pupil, and it also uh, helps to focus incoming light into the pupil. Actually, there are two parts of your eyes that do focusing of light rays. The cornea does the majority of it. I think it does about two-thirds of the focusing, and that's the first layer. And actually, if you've listened to our episodes on tears that we did, I think a couple of months ago, you know, there's something mm. even to the outside of the cornea, which is that thin layer of tear film that covers mm. the eye. It's secreted by the lacrimal glands. Well, actually, it has multiple parts. The The watery part of the tear film is uh, secreted by the lacrimal glands. And then there's an oily part of the tear film that comes from the base of the eyelids. Now, coming to the pupil, while it's tempting to think of the pupil as a thing, the interesting truth is that the pupil is really an absence. The pupil is the hole or the opening through which light passes. So light comes through the cornea and then is directed through the pupil and then is focused again a second time after the cornea by a clear structure on the inside of the eye, the inside of the pupil, that's called the lens. And then finally, after it is focused through the lens, the light is reflected onto the layer of sensitive cells on the back of the inside of the eye, known as the retina. And then the sensing cells of the retina transmit the information about the light via the optic nerve all the way to the visual cortex in the back of the brain, where the information is made sense of in a way that we experience as sight. So I think what we should say is that sight happens in the brain, which is why there are so many things that can uh, that can affect what we see when we look at the world. You know, it's not just like a video camera feed. There's, a, there's some post-processing that goes on that can be affected by all kinds of things from uh, you know, from uh, from biases and little little tricks of of how the brain works to drugs, and so mm. uh, so so sight happens in the brain, but of course light has to go through all these stages within the eye before it is turned into the experience of vision in the visual cortex. You know, I was just thinking you were talking about how about the pupil being uh, an absence and not a thing, and I was thinking about. Um um, you know, various, uh, there's of course the, the Chinese story of the magic paintbrush. And I think there are different variations on this, but there's one in which the, the, the paintbrush, uh, whatever you paint with it comes to life, but only after you have, uh, have added the eyes, or I think perhaps the, the, uh, you know, adding the, the, the pupil, 
uh, slash iris of the eye, because uh, depending on the detail of your illustration, like the pupil and the eye are just going to be one, right? Like if you're painting an eye, drawing an eye, you create the white and then you put that black dot in the middle to complete it. Mm -hmm. And it kind of brings life to something. But on the other hand, I think to the world of, uh, of miniature painting and off, if, if anyone's never seen this, you should look it up because it can be uh, hilarious. Um, when people are just uh, figuring out what they're doing with miniatures, uh, they'll often want to complete like this, you know, we're talking like a small scale, uh, um, uh, you know, soldier or something. And they'll want to put eyes on it. So they'll create the white dots and then they'll go to throw those little black dots in there as well. Uh, often with just hilarious results, you'll end up with just uh, the completely ridiculous googly eyes that uh, that are you know look too big for the head, and one eye's put looking off in one direction and the other in another direction. Um, but we have that compulsion. We like we it's not real until I add uh, you know the the, the pupil iris. Uh, we can't just have white there. We can't just have dark there. We have to have both. Well, yeah, I think there is actually a strong uh, biological reason why why having both is very important to us. You know, we've looked at research before on how humans are very sensitive to noticing uh, gaze direction in other mm -hmm. humans, to monitoring the movement of other people's eyes to understand where they're looking. That is very socially relevant information, and we keep close tabs on it even when you don't notice you're doing it. Yeah. So if you're to see a representation of a human and and they like don't have pupils in their eyes, th this is very disturbing because it's like, well, I can't tell where they're looking, and that you know that that doesn't feel good at all. Yeah, this is probably why you know it's it's very popular in in films and TV shows. If you need a uh, a character to have a very very otherworldly air to them, just simply uh, give them completely black eyes or completely white eyes, and uh, and you know they'll have this uh, angelic or demonic air about them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The one thing I do want to come back to when I said that the, the pupils are an absence and I said not a thing. I mean, of course, it, it depends on what you mean by thing. But mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they are the pinhole in a pinhole camera. It, the, right. Without the hole, the pinhole camera doesn't work. So they're very important. You've got to have them. But what they are is an opening. Yeah. Here's another weird thing. You, you ever think about the fact that your eye has muscles? Oh, I don't know. yeah. Maybe this is one that everybody else has just fully metabolized and, and is sitting with them just fine. But thinking about my eye muscles makes me a little woozy. Uh, but obviously, it's true. I mean, in fact, your eye has multiple levels of muscles. And here's we're going to come back to uh, creatures with seven of something. So arranged the, around the back of each of your eyes uh, on the, attached to the sclera, there are seven muscles known uh -huh. as the, uh, the extraocular muscles. And these are muscles that move the eyeballs and to some degree the eyelids as well, certainly the superior eyelids. So when you look up, down, side to side, up at an angle, when you're trying to remember something, you're flexing these muscles. Do you think Cucullin had seven of these or did he have 49 uh, muscles on his eyeballs? <laughs> Wait, did he have different eyes? Or I, No, I mean, the, I think he only had two eyeballs. <laughs> he just had seven irises or eyes. So... These are apportioned according to eyeballs, not to okay. pupils and irises. Didn't know how, how deep into his anatomy the numerology uh, went. But to get even weirder, there are also muscles within the eye. There are muscles in your eyes responsible for changing the diameter of the pupil, of that opening. Uh, so remember, the pupil is basically a hole, and the function of the pupil is to allow light to pass through the lens and onto the retina, and the eye has to adjust the size of the hole to help control light exposure and to focus the image. 
a very easy example to see for yourself. I, you, everybody probably did this in elementary school at some point, but if you never did, check it out sometime. Watch your pupils in a mirror uh, when you're turning the lights in the room on and off. Your pupil will dilate in a dark room to allow more light in to become more sensitive to less data. And when the light comes on, the people will contract to allow less light in. Mm-hmm. Now, I was reading about what function the pupil serves, because I think the expansion and contraction of the pupil is not only for controlling for the amount of light in the environment. It, I think it also helps control uh, focus of the image that you're trying to, uh, to, to uh, turn your gaze onto. So I was reading about this in a paper by Sebastian Mathote called pupillometry, psychology, physiology, and function in the Journal of Cognition 2018. And Mathote writes, quote, although pupil responses likely serve many functions, not all of which are fully understood, one important function is to optimize vision either for acuity, small pupils see sharper, and depth of field, small pupils see sharply at a wider range of distances, or for sensitivity, large pupils are better able to detect faint stimuli. And then finally says, uh, that is, pupils change their size to optimize vision for a particular situation. Uh, and probably all of these are uh, familiar to people who have ever had to work the aperture of, of a film camera. Because hmm. you, you manipulate the aperture not just to respond to different light conditions and to avoid uh, overexposing or underexposing, but you also do it in order to control things like depth of field. Like, do you want... You know, things that are both close and far away in sharp focus or only what's up close in focus and so forth. But to come back to those muscles within the eye, what causes the expansion or contraction of the pupil uh, is actually the set of muscles within the iris. This is what your iris is for. And so here's a wonderful anatomy fact that everyone should know. When you hear a good love song or a poem about eye color, you know, uh, my love, how, how I long to gaze into your big brown eyes, the singer is technically longing to gaze into two sphincters. It certainly makes you rethink uh, Van Morrison's uh, Brown Eyed Girl a bit. Right, yes. Um, uh, speaking but, yeah. of which, Irish singer, why, why not, um, why brown eyes instead of um, triple or, or seven pupil eyes? <laughs> Missed opportunity. Brown Eyed Girl is a song all about the appreciation of beautiful glassy sphincters glinting in the sun. Uh, okay, so the iris is composed of two types of muscle. Uh, you've got the dilator muscles, and these are long muscle fibers, uh, you know, relatively long within the eye at least, that cause the pupil to expand when they contract. So you can kind of think of muscles like uh, pulling and opening wider by, by pulling at its edges. And then the second type within the iris is the sphincter muscle. This is a ring of muscle tissue around the inner edge of the iris that shrinks the pupil when it contracts. And so the term sphincter is, of course, most famous for referring to the muscle that controls the anus, but it actually just means any ring of muscle that works to open and close a tube in, in an animal body. So you actually have multiple sphincters throughout your body, not just in the anus, not just in the anus and the irises, but also internally controlling the openings of the stomach. By the way, we do have, uh, what, at least a couple of episodes about the evolution of the anus that we did uh, a few years back. So if anyone is interested in, uh, in more information on that, uh, then I send you to the vault uh, to uh, seek those episodes out. Oh, yeah. I recall that being great fun. But, but, but I wanted to say, believe it or not, this tidbit about sphincters is uh, the sphincters of the eyes is not just a uh, an amusing digression. This will actually play into what I'm about to talk about. 
which is an extremely rare medical condition in which human beings do sometimes have multiple pupils in the same eye. And this is a condition known as polychoria. So it's very, very rare, but multiple pupils per eye does exist in the real world. And so as a source on this, I was looking at a book called The Handbook of Pediatric Neuro-Ophthalmology, published by Springer in 2006 by Kenneth W. Wright, Peter H. Spiegel, and Lisa S. Thompson. According to the authors here, there are actually two different conditions known as polychoria, though both are referring to conditions where there is more than one opening in the iris. They say these additional openings tend to be due to what they call local hypoplasia of the iris stroma and the pigment epithelium. So these are the the layers of tissue within the iris. Uh, The iris stroma is the, the bigger middle layer and the pigment epithelium is a layer uh, that is what uh, gives eyes their color, the pigment on the back of the irises. And so uh, hypoplasia within those tissues would mean a, a lack of cells or an incomplete formation of the cells within those tissues. Now, regarding the two varieties of this condition, there is true polychoria in which there is more than one pupil and they each have their own iris sphincter muscle with the ability to contract. Then there is false polychoria or pseudopolychoria in which there are multiple openings in the iris, but only one has the sphincter muscle. So the sphincter muscle is what makes the difference. The Having the sphincters around your extra pupils is what makes it true polychoria. Both conditions are rare, but true polychoria is much more rare. They write that in almost all clinical situations, the correct diagnosis is pseudopolychoria. Mm. And given how rare polychoria is, there doesn't seem to be a ton of accessible medical literature on it. Most of what I did find was pretty old. I found one report from recent years, and this was an article published in JAMA Ophthalmology from 2020 by uh, Antoine Safi and Schallenberg and Aki Kawasaki called Polychoria in a Young Girl. This was a case report of a nine-year-old girl in good health who was in for a regular checkup with her doctor when the doctor noticed that she had two pupils in her left eye, one regular-sized pupil in the middle and then another much smaller hole in the iris just to the side of the primary. Uh, Rob, I've attached a picture for you to look at here. But this case was one of the extremely rare documented cases of true polychoria because both pupils in the same eye would contract simultaneously when exposed to light, meaning they both had functional sphincter muscles surrounding them. And one of the proposed causes of true polychoria is what the authors call, quote, a snaring or pinching off from the margin of another pupil. And that would seem to make sense of why there would be uh, sphincter muscles surrounding it. So if you picture the pupil surrounded by this ring of sphincter muscle, and then you picture part of that pupil uh, by just uh, some kind of quirk of how the cells are growing, part of the pupil getting pinched off and separated from the other one, like the, the iris cells around it kind of just come together and grow together and pinch off part of it, that would still, it would still be surrounded by those sphincter muscle cells. Uh, by the way, and a lot of times we'll say definitely go do an image search so you can see what we're talking about here. I have to advise if you're doing a search for polychoria, you will invariably turn up uh, some actual images, but also a lot of doctored uh, images and like clickbait images uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that 
that don't represent anything that's actually happening uh, in in the in real biological world. If you definitely want to see a real photo, you can look up the article I just mentioned. Again, that was in JAMA Ophthalmology called Polychoria in a Young Girl. It just has close-ups of the pupils, and you can see them right there. Yeah, th- these images are, are quite impressive. Although, of course, I have to say that anytime you have a close-up image of the inner workings of an eyeball, um, it, you're getting into weird territory <laughs> because mm-hmm. it quickly becomes this strange alien world. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Now, you might be tempted to wonder, whoa, if somebody has two pupils in the same eye, how does that affect vision? Like, do they see two images out of that eye or something? Uh, and the answer to that is no, because uh, mm-hmm. what's what's creating the what's sending the light data back to your uh, visual cortex is the retina. So, what tends to result from uh, polychoria is usually just some impairment of vision in that eye, but uh, it, it doesn't tend to, at least as far as I've read create any uh, extravagant, unusual effects. More likely, if it has effects on vision, it's probably just some uh, some reduction in the function of the eye or impairment of vision. 
I mean, you kind of come back to the same place where we've, we've been here before where you, 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 t- you talk about sight, uh, and it's something that we, you know, most of us take for granted. But then when you start thinking about what's actually happening, you know, that you have these uh, not one but two different eyeballs functioning and, uh, and, and this data is then, um, uh, you know, re- reassembled and, and created into this, uh, uh, stitched together into this, uh, this simulated model of the world inside our heads, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Well, yeah, and especially because, uh, as we said earlier, you know, vision happens in the brain. It it just makes use of data gathered with the eyes. So the Mm -hmm. brain can actually do a lot of compensating, adapting, and adjusting based on what's going on in the first part of the process. Right. It also reminds me of uh, talking to David Eagleman. uh, You know, one of the things he points out uh, uh, is that we're basically Mr. Potato Heads. And the, the more sensory tools that you plug into the brain, like it's just going to be integrated into the model. Uh, so, you know, oh, it's like yeah. one eyeball, two eyeballs. Um, if, you, if you were to add additional eyeballs or additional things that's, that, uh, that fed in additional data, like that would be consolidated into the whole. Yeah, he's pretty from what I understand, he's pretty bullish on plasticity, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess there are differences of opinion among experts on this, like how adaptable right. is the adult brain? How many types of uh, new sensory information could a brain uh, make use of? But yeah, I, I think he's more on the end of like, we we would be shocked how much the brain can adapt to. Right. Yeah. But then again, just coming back to the idea that, yeah, your vision is not the thing your eye does. Your vision is the thing your brain does using the eyes. Right. All right, so we're going to be back in the next episode. We're going to have uh, more ancient ideas about uh, multi-lobed eyes. We're going to have uh, we're going to ha- we have some more science uh, this time from the animal world and some of the strange uh, pupils going on out there. Um, I-, I did want to mention though uh, briefly that yeah, you, you do have some some pretty neat pop culture examples of multi-pupiled, multi-irised eyes. Um, I was trying to think of think of them. I, th- I feel like the ones that came to mind are are all kind of loosely connected to each other, or they all feel like they're very much within the same sort of genre of sort of weird <laughs> horror themed um, uh, visionary art. I was like, uh, Rob, is is it going to be Tool? Yeah, well, it, it has to be Tool, right? Uh, so. <laughs> Because like, I guess these were probably my first exposures to this kind of, of imagery, even though, again, uh-huh. it's, it's, you know, it's clearly been around with us for a very long time. But um, there's uh, Adam Jones uh, uh, of Tool. His art for the, uh, the EP, Opiate, features something like you know, eyes with multiple pupils and or eyes undergoing mitosis or their figure eight pupils. It's you know, hard to figure out exactly what's happening in a, a stationary image. Uh, there's also the the Cam de Leon album art ocular orifice for Tool's 1996 album Anima, featuring an eye with two or more irises and pupils, and that's one that I believe is is animated as well. So it gets this mm. you get this idea of the eye turning. Was that an album that had some release where you like turn it in the light and it would move? Yeah, yeah, you could. Oh, okay. Yeah, some of the images could be placed so that they're uh, yeah, they're looking out the front of the CD case, and it creates this 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 movement. Uh, yeah, real like masters the, of the physical release. The the horror movie you talked about with the the VHS box with the light up eyes. Yeah, yeah, they were very very much in, the, in that. I mean, they're still putting out albums with that kind of gimmickry, which which I love. Um, now, a, a, a film that comes to mind. There's uh, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, which I know you you saw in the last few years anyway there's oh, a yeah. scene in which a deranged killer uh like you know crashes through the uh the storefront uh this cafe front with an axe and then you get a close-up of his eyes and he seems to have 
they're either like conjoined irises or perhaps irises that are undergoing mitosis that are coming together or splitting apart or something is going on there. And it's a, like a super creepy moment. And then he starts talking about Sutter Kane. Um, and then, of course, of course you know, uh, that's a, a film that's often talked about in terms of the Lovecraftian influences. There's a great madness line at the end of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, story, The Haunter of the Dark, that reads, I see it coming here, hell, wind, titan, blur, black wings, Yog sothoth save me, the three-lobed burning eye. I mean, frankly, after all this talk of seven-lobed burning eyes, I, I feel like that's rather <laughs> tame. <laughs> it's not that impressive. I can easily imagine the three-lobed burning eye, but seven-lobed, yeah. yeah. That's too yeah. mad to even write about. Yog Sothoth arrives on Earth after millions of years. Is like I have come to conquer. Runs into Kukulin, and then Kukulin's <laughs> like, "I have so many more irises than you." And that's right. Yeah, I have a Kukulin could could totally whip Yog Sothoth. No, 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 no question about it. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and close it out there. But we will be back Thursday. There'll be more um, eye related uh, wonder, more eye related science. So tune in. Uh, in the meantime, we'd love to hear from everyone, though, if you have thoughts about this episode, if you have thoughts about Irish mythology, um, other tales that involve uh, multiple pupils or multiple irises in the same eye. Like I say, we're going to mention some in the next episode, but it's very likely. I mean, it's, 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 I'm definitely missing something. There's, there's some sort of detail from some other folklore, mythology, or certainly pop culture. And we would love to hear about any of those examples. So write in and let us know. Um, those episodes, of course, core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Wednesday, we do a short form artifact or monster fact. On Monday, we do listener mail. And on Friday, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious matters and just discuss a strange film. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
Amazon.com. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.